This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu and Silver Lake, created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a place for addicts to be treated with compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades of experience dealing with co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is critical when you're kicking heroin or benzos or alcohol or Coke or whatever. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Surfing, sound bath meditation, the incredibly spiritual sweat lodge, and much, much more. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get some help, I strongly recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at CASL, which of course stands for Clean and Sober Love, the dating app for people who choose a sober way of life. It was created by one addict to help another addict to date safely. So here's the deal. You got clean, you got sober, you got a new life, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? Bloomingdale's? CASL is the solution. Dating in recovery is real and totally worth considering if you have your shit together. CASL is the platform where you can meet like-minded addicts all over the world. Install the app now on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Oh, and by the way, it's totally free. Go on Clean and Sober Love now, CASL. Add your name to the profiles. You can chat. You can meet a lonely junkie of your dreams out there somewhere, people. Don't miss out on this opportunity. CASL is for free on the App Store and the Google Play Store. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Grady's Cold Brew Coffee. Grady sent me a box of their cold brew coffee, and I haven't had a different kind of coffee since. I am a coffee snob. I love it. It's got a little bit of chicory. It is delicious. It is strong. It's a little bit sweet. Grady's Cold Brew was founded in 2011. Grady's is an independently owned and operated coffee company based in the Bronx out of Hunts Point, and Grady is a real person. I cannot tell you how happy I am to promote Grady's Coffee. They are offering Dopey Nation fans a 25% off Grady's Cold Brew Coffee. That is 25% off if you go to Grady'sColdBrew.com and you use the Dopey25 code. This coffee is no joke. Support the Dopey Nation, support the Dopey Podcast, and support Grady's at www.Grady'sColdBrew.com. 
Dopey 25 saves you 25%. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation through the Dopey Patreon page. There is now a paywall on the Dopey Patreon page. Two bucks gets you three Patreon episodes. Five bucks gets you three Patreon episodes plus entree into the Dopey Patreon Zoom with me and Ray. This week on the Dopey Patreon Zoom, we're playing a... Not this week. This month on the Dopey Patreon Zoom, we're playing a game. Someone's going to win something. Maybe a hoodie, maybe a t-shirt, maybe some stickers as well. Maybe there'll be multiple winners. Sign up for the $5 so you can come to the Dopey Patreon Zoom. The $10 Super Deluxe Dopey level gets you three Patreon episodes. It gets you entree into the Dopey Patreon Zoom. And it also gets you a big, big pack of Dopey stickers. And it also gets you the new bonus Dopey episode one month in advance. This is only for Dopeys who really care about the show. So sign up for Dopey Patreon at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Last week, we had super dope Liz Ann on the show. Next week, we have a surprise guest that I'm sure you guys are dying to hear from. Dopey Patreon. Check it out. Also, as important as Dopey Patreon, is the amazing Dopey Store. We have a new shirt with the praying mantis on the front. Looks pretty good. Really cool on the back, too. Nice new Dopey hoodie. Good stuff on there. Dopeypodcast.com. I also still have some ski hats. I have snapbacks. I just got a new shipment of Oy Vey snapbacks. So if you want one, just hit me up on Venmo or PayPal or whatever. If you want stickers, hit me up on Venmo or PayPal or do the Patreon thing. But enough with these fucking ads. Here is the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I am joined by the lovely Ray Brown. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Dave. Nice to be back. And it's fucked up. It's a super dope Mr. Matthew Wiedemeyer Carroll, who is like, you know... Who's, who's lovely to have on the show, or I shouldn't say lovely, because you don't like that, who's great to have on the show, but not in this circumstance. Possibly the best-looking member of the Dopey Nation. The best-looking. All right, take it easy, Ray. He, you, you, turn, you, take, you turn Ray on a little bit too much. But um, Matthew uh, just texted me that he's prepared to throw three years away. What's going on, man? Man, I fucking... It's some bullshit, man. Like, I fucking... You know, I've, I've been... There's been some complications at home, like financially, like I'm trying to get ahead on, you know, credit cards. And today it was just too much for my girl and fucking, she just like screamed in my face all the, all the way home from this wedding rehearsal. And, you know, I get it, whatever, but it's not like I'm not doing anything. She got pissed off that fucking me and Justin bought a fucking, an RC truck that I didn't pay anything for, but I did volunteered to pick up the payments you know uh, it was like 250 bucks justin paid for the the first half up front and then i was going to pay for you know the payments on the for the rest of it and you know matt you do you have a lot mad about this well you have a lot of extravagant toys you've got motocross bikes you go on vacations lavish vacations to these luxury lakes out there you're constantly 
partying up with the our ACVs or whatever you call them, all the cats running around the second barn. Dude, <laughs> come on. This is my second barn. Matt's got like well, one yeah. barn for the for the motocross stuff and a second barn just for cats. And, I don't blame your girlfriend. And, and Matt was saying he was thinking about like picking back up because he could sell this shit. And I said, but there's so many much better ways to illegally make money, especially for you. That's a really bad right. way. Well, Ray wants you to whore yourself out. That's what I didn't say that. Ray, Ray thinks that you can. <laughs> set, Ray thinks you could hustle down in Des Moines or something. I was not thinking that. Ray, that's all. You, all Ray thinks about is street hustling and pubic hair. Nothing else ever crosses I did, his. I did mind. ask Dave one, when I first met Dave. I did ask him like, so did you have to hustle to pay for your heroin habit? And he's like, no, of course not. <laughs> that's all Ray ever wants to talk about is hustling. No, dude. He- he worked for MTV. What does he got to pay right. for heroin? Right, he's like, I had a job. <laughs> now, Matt, um, honestly, is it why she's pissed because the you see you are terrible with money though, right? Because you work very hard. Well, I do, and I I have in the past been very terrible with money, but I think I've come a long way. And her and her problem is, and I see it, I understand it. We're trying to save for this house, like. There's a mortgage that will soon be on the line when grandpa and grandma die because we're living in grandpa and grandma's house because they moved to the west to a you know a retirement home. And we're looking over the place and we want to buy it. But when I keep buying all this dumb shit, you know, she gets mad about it. And I understand that. I totally understand that because we have to save for probably a massive down payment. And when I'm buying fucking, you know, stupid toys and shit like that, you know, it, it pissed her off and I get it. But when you hold all this shit in for so long and it blows up in my face on the way home, it's like, dude, you know what? Fuck you. I don't want to hear this shit. So I'll fucking drop you off and I'll fucking go get high and make my problems a lot better. Well, you're also not doing any of the things that you're supposed to be doing. First of all, I want to hear I want to hear about the toys you buy. Like, let's go down the list. Okay, so I bought two dirt bikes. I got a loan for that. Two. You know, and... And, Not and they're great. I love them. And there's a personal loan, so if I file bankruptcy, the bank can't take it. You know, whatever. Fuck it. But anyway, and then so we decided to get this this you know this R this nitro RC truck, and Justin was all about it. And I told him, I said, I said, hey, you know, I really don't have the money to freaking you know to to pull the trigger on this right now. And Justin's like, fuck it, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for the half, and then we'll we'll worry about it later. I'm like, okay, whatever. So you know, a little. a week to pay off half of $250, you know, in my, in my view, isn't really that much money, but I'm also dropping like a hundred dollars a week on these credit cards. So then we got in this big fight and I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. You can give me a $30 allowance a week. And then I'll just make the minimum fucking payments on these credit cards and they'll never get paid off. And I will start, you know, because my girl has been paying for everything here just so I can get caught up on these credit cards. Well, it sounds like and, it sounds like you're looking for the external solution to the internal problem. Right. That's, that's the way I always do it. <laughs> of course, but I mean, I also though I can hear your soul like refilling with like sanity right now and you're taking a deep breath and you I mean, what happens if you go buy meth? It's it's all gone. Like my kids are gone, every, she's gone, and everything's gone. And you know, and Getting back here and having Justin, Justin's on his way right now. And, you know, that 
but I did send like two text messages out on the way back. Like, Hey, I'm about to throw two, three years away or Hey, what's up? What's good. I got some cash. Fucking let's you meet can, up. And you, I haven't heard nothing back. Matt, you can go to those people that you wrote to and you can delete their numbers. So you can delete them out of your phone. Yeah, why do you have them yeah, in your phone anyway? Well, it's on messenger. I mean, I know these people. It's not, I'm not friends with them, but you know, you can always message people on messenger that you know who they are. It's true. I message Mark Marin all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> fuck. Um, so you're not doing it, right? No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here tonight. Are you a hundred? I mean, like, also, is that what what kind of temptation do you have besides frustration in terms of getting high? Like, I mean, I talk to you once in a while and. You never like talk about actually wanting to get high. So like how 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 much are you frustrated or how much do you really want to use? I mean, I don't really want to use anymore. I think it was just like wanting to fucking, you know, get back at my girl, you know, her being a fucking asshole to me, be like, I'll show you, I'll go get high, you know what I mean? And like that, I, I that's like I, who's I, that I gonna I, hurt? Yeah. Like I think I really wanted to do it more to hurt her than to even like get high, but you know that's I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. Well, that's now the, when I get here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now I'm thinking more clearly. Well, it's the classic alcoholic move. You 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 drink the poison and hope somebody else gets sick, or you'll cop meth to show her to really you know tell her you can do what you want. But in the end, you suffer. Your children suffers. She suffers, and like you'll never get high enough. Matt, do you get no, drug? No, do they drug test you at work, dude? Sorry, go ahead, Ray. Do they drug test you at work? No, unless we get injured. No. Listen. I mean, but, you know, that's that's the one thing that, Dave, you've said in the podcast that really has, like, resonated with me through all these years that I will never get higher than I've ever gotten. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've all experienced and that. We've all tried, and it never works again. It never does. And, like, it's in, like, this last run I had three years ago, it's like, fuck, dude, I was shooting, like, half grams of meth, and I was, like, going to sleep in, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like me drinking this cold brew coffee <laughs> yeah. so late at night. Right, exactly. Dude, it's like, you got to, I think you should tell Justin that you're out of the Nitro RC Turbo. Tell him that it's not good for your fucking sanity and that you would love to play with it, but you can't. You know, you got, this is, like, it's serious moment time. It's one thing to like want to do what you want to do and have fun. And it's another thing to put everything at risk because you're putting everything at risk. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, but, and then, but the biggest problem was tonight that it's like, it's not like I haven't been doing anything. It's like, I got one of these credit cards almost paid off because I've been fucking making major fucking payments on them every week. And then like, she's like, you're not doing anything. I'm like, I am doing stuff, but you know, I get it. I I see both sides of the I see both sides of the picture. You know what I mean? She's but just it's like tonight. Yeah, I know. And then there was just no talking to her tonight. You know, and I get it. And so I and I know my place. When that happens, I just shut the fuck up. Well, that's smart. You know, you're never gonna win. You know, Matt. I got hell no. I got credit cards around the same time as I discovered Crystal because they used to not give credit cards to super young people. So that was like in my late 20s, I got a, an American Express and credit cards, and then I discovered you could get cash advances, and I went, I got in such financial trouble because I would take out these cash advances and buy Crystal. It took me, I don't know, three years to pay all that off, but I did. Yeah, 
And I'm not like, I'm not in that much of credit card debt. I think I only got like, I think I, I talked to Scott Wick about it a little bit. And uh, he's like, how much credit card debt you got? I was like, oh, about three grand. He's like, dude, that ain't shit. And I'm That's like, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, and it really isn't, you know, but well, it's still frustrating. It's something you have to pay off. And, and Matt, do you know what gay people call meth in New York City? What? Tina. I don't call know it. Tina. Tina. T. <laughs> T. No, Tina for... for it's for a 16th. Yeah, for a Tina. It's a 16 Yeah. That's what they call yeah, it. But they also, if you're like on... the Patreon episode, we didn't know what a teener was. Actually, you, me and you both did not know what a teener was. <laughs> I know. But if you're on, also, if you're on that grinder or something, and it says party, but the T is really big, that's for Tina. Do you know what grinder well, take is? Take it easy, right? Take it easy, right? Yeah, right. Take it easy. Yeah, right. Come, Take on. It easy. Come <laughs> on, right? It's a family show. Um, yeah. Did you know that um, this week was Scott Wick's six months clean? Yes. So like, nice way you, to go, vape knocks, man. If you fucking relapse, Scott Wick has more clean time than you, which would just be a travesty in the world of the dope yeah, nation. We, we can't be having that. Can't be having that. Scott Wick, congratulations, <laughs> Matt. It sounds like cooler heads have prevailed. You know, and, definitely. And Matt, Matt found. Tell them. Tell the anybody that doesn't know. Tell the dopey nation how you found out about the show. How I found out about the show? Yeah. Um, well, I was uh, I was listening to a few other podcasts, and then I got off work at Blade Runners. Why are you so obsessed with Blade Runners? Dave would say. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I got home and I was just in absolute desperation, and I was just so hit. And I sat down on my mom's couch and I just typed in "meth" into the podcasting app, and freaking this mini NPR series about meth in Hawaii came up and then Dopey was the next and that was the second one I listened to and the rest is history. Well, my favorite piece of the Matt history, I don't know if you know this, Ray, is that Matt went to prison and wrote a letter to Chris. Oh, yeah. Chris's actual address and sent a letter to Chris. I remember that, yeah. Chris never wrote back. Did he write back? No, hell no, he didn't write back. Chris (laughs) never wrote back, but he... He put the picture of the letter on Instagram. <laughs> we, and yeah. we never mentioned it on the show, though. But, but he did post never, it on Oh, Instagram. yeah. Yeah, that's right, because I, I did like the show. Like, I listened to a couple episodes before I went to prison. I reached out to you guys, got Chris's address, and then I listened from episode one to, like, the point in time when I got out just to hear about my letter on Topia, and I never heard about it. <laughs> but in hindsight, I got hooked on the show just listening you know, to hear about my letter. <laughs> That's funny. And today's episode is very interesting, Matt, because now it's getting a little bit more diverse. We've got the the the, the gay city slickster with uh, Ray. We have the straight nice. Jewish guy over here. You're the corn-fed Iowan meth addict. And coming up next, we have our first Muslim on Dopey, besides Ishmael. It's this woman. Her name is Hazi, and she was born in Albania. Are you excited? Oh, wow. That's going to be another, I'm way excited. It's another level of dopey diversity. So, Matt, you feel better? I feel I feel incredible. I'm like I'm back to normal now. Well, and then I'll just deal I'll deal with my girl later. Go deal with her now. Right, call her, apologize, make nice, you know, bring her back on the team cuz I'm sure she's hurting right now. Yeah, and she's she's in there. She'll be all right. All I'm right. gonna wait for Justin to get it here, and we're gonna figure some shit out. But I'm definitely not gonna get high tonight. 
that has definitely passed. Good. Um, give a call tomorrow, okay? Will do, man. Right on. All right, Matt. Thanks for calling, and I'm Stay glad. Stay strong, Dobry Nation. <laughs> Good night, Matt. And Matt, thank you, thank you for buying Ray the uh, Taco Bell gift certificate. You don't see you're wasting your fucking money on Ray. He has no fucking money. <laughs> he's buying fucking remote control cars and fucking dirt bikes, and he's treating yeah, you to Taco don't, Bell canteen. Don't tell your girlfriend about the gift card. Ugh. Well, listen, I I heard on the show one time that Ray loves Taco Bell. So when I fucking was in a cinema's decal, I figured, what the hell? I'll slip Ray a fucking twenty five dollar gift card. You're too generous, Matt. You're too generous. It's gone. It's done. I'm. It's, it's used. Well, up. I I love you guys, though. I mean, what are you gonna do? Well, we love you too, Matt. Um, right, fucking man. keep your head up and don't do anything stupid. Stop spending money, for fuck's sake. Give me a break. Have a fucking uh, yard right. sale. Maybe sell lemonade or something. Sell the dirt bikes. <laughs> yeah, sell the dude. No, he can't sell the dirt bikes. Ain't, ain't no way. Ain't, ain't no, no way. way. Ain't no sell, way. Sell the nitrous. <laughs> sell the nitrous ain't car. No way. It's not his nitrous car. It's Justin. All right. All right. Yeah. You know what to do, Matt. Just, you know, fucking apologize to your girl and start saving money again. Stop stop buying Ray gift cards. Stop spending money thr- <laughs> frivolously, and, and all will be well. Um, but I'm glad you sound good. All right. Thanks, man. Good. Nice talking to you guys. Of course. Good night. Later. Later. Well, we, we talked Matt off the ledge. We saved him. On a scale of, I mean, I think Matt needed just to talk to somebody. Yeah, I've been in that exact same situation. And then, like, 15 minutes after talking, you're, like, laughing and you've forgotten. I've been that with you or with other friends. It works. Just calling a friend. And then you're laughing about the situation. And you're making, like, dark humor about it. And then you're like, okay, I'm not thinking that anymore. It's weird. It works. Well, you get out of yourself. Yeah. I think that's the trick. Well, like, with me, like he's there with a girlfriend or some people with family. With me, it's always I'm alone in my apartment. And and the liquor store downstairs, or the kratom dealer downstairs. The, the kratom dealer downstairs is still on my mind. Or you're in your husband's house with your husband. Yeah. Oh, drinking Nyquil. You know, somebody just sent me a thing. Where's the read the Nyquil thing? Somebody in the oh, Dopey yeah. Nation sent me this little email. Yo, dope. Don't do it. DXM is the active ingredient. DXM, the active ingredient, is a morphine analog. Dextro, dextromethorphan DM, a structural analog of morphine and codeine, has been wide, widely used as a cough suppressant for more than 40 years. So I guess NyQuil is like morphine. I guess the molecule shape is similar to morphine, which doesn't surprise me no, because it really made me feel so good. And to be totally honest, I have not done NyQuil since the last time I mentioned on the show that I did NyQuil. Me neither. So that was a while ago. But also, to be very honest, I really I really like NyQuil. <laughs> I didn't get anything out of it. I was so excited. Like, I'm going to sneak over here in the dark and quietly get this. I was so quiet getting that NyQuil down. I'm like, I'm going to get that Dave. Dave's high off of this. And I just waited and waited and waited, and it never came. I don't get it. It's like, I'm going to just describe this, and I, you know... I don't get high off NyQuil. I don't drink but the it puts NyQuil. You to sleep. I don't drink the NyQuil and feel high. What it does is I fall asleep and it's incredibly deep sleep. Yeah. And the way my br- my body is and my brain is that when I like tonight, I mean I'm drinking Grady's cold brew coffee right now which is delicious. Um 
but I'm going to get to bed probably at midnight and I'm going to be up at six in the morning tomorrow because my brain just switches on. When I take NyQuil, my brain doesn't switch on till like eight. Oh, and it's for like the morning, not for the night. I take it. I take NyQuil for the morning. Not for the night. Wow. I took it thinking, I'm just going to fall asleep right away. And then three hours later, I'm like, what happened? Well, you're immune to NyQuil. For me, I take it, I fall asleep in mm. 40 minutes. But Dopey Nation, I don't recommend taking NyQuil. It's got a molecule that, that seems similar to morphine. And, and if, you know, come on. Um, although, I mean, if I get very sick, it's a different story. Yeah, the NyQuil well, might come back. It says something on the on the cover. If it's a sleepy, whatever. It's the nighttime snuffling, head coughing, sneezing, yeah. Yeah. so you can rest If medicine. you have a cold or flu, you can take it. And then it's not a relapse. Right. Like, yeah, we've heard that from everybody. Like, if the doctor prescribes it, then you need it. If Dr. Brown prescribes it for you, you need it. I... I, I I was reading some old journals, and it, I used to take it more than I needed it. I, what I would do is, if I got sick, I would take NyQuil, and then I'd drink it every night until it was gone. Oh, you drink the whole bottle? No, no, no. I would take a dose. One dose? Yeah. Every, but I would, I would take it, and I would pretend I, was, <laughs> I had a cold that week. And I would never like I would never have a bottle of Nyquil that was like half empty. Right. Like once I started taking it, I would take it every night. As prescribed. Well, I was I had a cold. Yeah. You know? Um. All right. Let's get to the interview. Ready for the interview? Yep. yep. So this is a woman I met her at a meeting in Manhattan. She's uh from Manhattan by way of Albania, I guess. Right. Yep. And her name oh. is Hazi. There's my train. That's not your train. This is Hazi. All right, so um, this is the newest thing in Dopey uh, recording, which is somebody meets me on the beach at the Great South Bay. And I have to tell this story really quickly. In the wintertime, I was, I was struggling with guests, and I didn't know what to do, and I was like, fuck, the guests aren't that good. Where am I going to find some guests? And someone's like... Go to meetings and listen for somebody in a meeting. And I'm like, you know, there's nobody in a meeting. I don't want to ask anybody in a meeting to come on the show. And, uh, and I, was, I started to go to this very bougie meeting uh, in mm. downtown Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Very gay, very liberal, very, very stylish and very, very attractive bunch. Yeah, they were. And I walk into the meeting late. And, and that meeting is like a church. It is a church, but it's quiet like a church. Mm-hmm. And this woman was sharing, and the place was fucking going bananas. It was like a fucking comedy club. And I was like, these people never laugh. I was like, what's happening? And it was like 7 in the morning. It was 7.30 in the morning. And then uh, I was like, this is the one. I found the one. I'm going to go talk to her, and I'm going to get her to come on the show. And I go up to her, and I introduce myself. And I was like, I have a podcast. And she looked at me like I was... The loser that I always feel like I am. It was a great no. confirmation. <laughs> no, never. And then I think she real she tracked down the show. <laughs> I did. And I don't even know how to pronounce your name right. Hazi. Good, because I was going to say it wrong. Um, <laughs> her name is Hazi. She has just officially quintupled the Muslim population of Sayville single handedly. <laughs> and um, and welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and when I went up to you, you were like, hey, you were like, loser. Hey, loser. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. You know what it was? It's There's always this fear and this, like, very thin line of, you know, the traditions. And, sure. Um, 
you know, and I just thought, you know, I was talking to my mom last night. I was like, mom, we're going to do this podcast. And she's like, you better watch what you fucking say. You have a city job, you know. She's like, is this really a great... I was like, mom, I, I need to get to the... If it's just one little Albanian that listens to this podcast or one little Muslim that listens to this podcast or one person that's like an immigrant who's, you know, just can relate to the feelings, to the emotions, to the fucking insanity and has like... Yo, Haz is my bitch. Yeah, I fucking love that girl. Like she helped you. Yeah, I fuck with her. You know, I wish motherfucker because I'm too expensive. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet you money that there is no Muslim nor Albanian. How and then Dopey Nation, prove me wrong. <laughs> write an email, Muslim members of the Dopey Nation. Please write an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Albanians, <laughs> Albanians, please write. But I'm sure there are some immigrants who are going to be like, yeah, I fucks with this bitch. Yeah, you know, or just what, you know, whatever. The, just relate to the insanity because the insanity is what um, either drives us to our death or drives us to our sobriety. There we go. Um, you know, that's, like, that's it. Am I, like, I feel like I'm about to eat this. Mic. No, you sound good. Here, you wear, you wear the headphones. and then you'll No, not, no, I don't no, want to. No, no, this if is I, if, I, if I hear myself. I'm realizing this is the thing. Okay. Oh, you think you're going to go nuts if you hear Yeah, if I hear myself, right. like, yeah, it won't be. Uh, won't be pleasurable. Yeah, no, it's not. No, people, people are like, people, I do episodes of people, and they're like, oh, did you listen to the episode? I'm like, no. No, because I just. I yeah. can't, I can't because. I'll hate myself too much. I hate myself enough that I, if I, I only listen to the episode if I know it's really good or really bad. Gotcha. More that it's really bad. Mm. Because I do this. I mean, we're here. I can, I can experience it and enjoy it. Um, like, Haji listened to the episode with Ray and Linda, <laughs> and she was saying, I hope, uh, and she was like, if I had the problem that you have with the cat... I would get rid of the fucking cat. Absolutely. And then she said, I hope Linda doesn't listen to this. And she <laughs> she won't listen to it because Linda only listens if she's on. Because she wants to hear like that she she sounded okay. Because yeah. she has that fear around it. And I had the fear around doing the show in the beginning. Um, and I would listen to it. And I was like, and it was me and Chris before Chris died. And I... I yeah, God rest his old male. Definitely. Um, Give him a reprieve. Yeah. Um, and I listened to it and I was like, okay, the show's okay. Mm. And then when he, after he died, I kind of listened a little bit just to make sure it kept, it, it was okay. And I, I hope you listen to it. You're going to listen to I it. I mean, eventually, you know, I might, you, you have to listen to your episode. Yeah, eventually I will. It's, but it's, it's a beautiful thing to like, you don't always have this ability to record conversations. I mean, I mean, unless it's, you know, it's a necessity uh, for that's uh, legal bad, reasons that's or something. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you have these very intimate conversations. You're gonna like, what the hell did he say? God, I wish I could just, you know, hit record and, and, and have that to play back. And, you know, in the middle of a shit storm to be like, oh, just, you know, a friendly reminder. But, um. But you those know. conversations, if you hit record, the conversation would have been cataclysmically different. Yeah. So, like, whatever. That's true. But inshallah, as we say. Inshallah, God willing. I mean, and yeah, and bismillah. Like, I hope, you know, uh, whatever it is. What does bismillah mean? means in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. Nice. So, you know, whatever it is uh, anyone can just relate to, like, I'm going to be ecstatic, like, you know, and then be, there might be some like serious hater aid too. I'd be like, nah, well, fuck you, because it's you, it's not me. 
I don't think I I I, I don't. If you guys hate Muslims, write an email to Sophie <laughs> or Albanians or immigrants. Because I'm curious as to like the 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 temperature of hatred in the dopey nation. But I don't think it's I, a no, I don't no. It's not you know. You know, addicts are like, uh, I don't know. It just it reminds me of like, you know, two people who are naked and they're, you know, ass naked in front of each other, but they want to tell one another about, you know, who they is. who they is. I mean, like, bro, you're fucking naked too. Like, you are stripped to your vulnerability. Um, so, yeah, that's... I don't think there's hate in Dopey Nation, but I don't think so either. I think it's just a funny, funny concept it's that Muslim funny... hate, haters should write an email <laughs> in this day and age. You know what I mean? Um, I know there's some crazy shit. So you know, why not sprinkle a little more crazy? I guess I don't know. But. I think uh, I walked into that meeting late, uh, but I remember hearing a lot of heroin, and I heard a lot of crazy sex. And oh I well, heard a heroin, lot of, no, no heroin, but. Lots of pills, lots of sex, lots of drinking, lots of absolutely insanity. So um, then that, that's like one of the, you know, things that's like, I've never did coke and I never did heroin, but I sucked a whole lot of, like it was, you know, there was a point where the, you know, the bottles were empty, the pills ran out and the bodies were cold. Like just waking up thinking like, holy shit, what but you know what's funny about that meeting? I remember looking down at my feet and I was like, holy shit, I didn't change my work boots. And I was looking for blood because we had like this, uh, I don't want to get too much in detail because, you know, I don't want the city come after me for bullshit. But um, that, like, that's what I remember at that meeting, like this meeting full of beautiful people. And I was looking down, sharing my story, like, do I have do I have blood on my like? Oh shit! I forgot to change my work boots. Do I have blood on my work boots? But um, in a way, we all have blood. But on heroin our shoes. was in my story because my my cousin had died of heroin, and uh, it, there was this moment of uh, I was like, oh, my my ex husband had left. Uh, I was like on the floor. There was a spot on my floor from like crying and drooling and just and. Uh, you know, he died of heroin, I don't know, a few days later. And I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, some some die for, for us to live, right? And I went into my uh, my little jewelry box, and I had all my coins. So I had this conversation with his spirit. And I said, uh, hey, Dino, what coin do you want? And I dipped in there, and I found this two-month coin. And I was like, this one's rusty. This one's yucky. Like, you don't want this one. Uh, and again, like by myself, like, oh my God, I probably hasn't sh haven't showered in like four days. I was so depressed. You know, I barely walked the dog and here I am talking to a dead guy, right? My cousin who taught me how to tie my shoes. And, uh, I went back in, I was like, I picked up that two month coin. I was like, fuck it. You know, I guess you really want this two month coin. So you know, two days in the mosque, my cousins were fucking coked out. I'm trying to grab my little cousin cause she's like drunk as fuck and we're in the mosque in Astoria and I'm trying to like hide her from everybody and I'm just it was just an absolute mess and um you know by the time we uh we buried him I had put the coin into the dirt with him and uh, my cousin I don't know a couple days later she went to like you know do whatever she does right 
And uh, we, they had a going away party that was just filled with stuff, right? That's, that's how we do. Um, that's what, you know, I appreciate uh, about alcoholism and drug addiction because it does not have, uh, you know, it's equal opportunity. Absolutely. Like everyone, uh, you know, everyone uh, gets to dip into that ocean, you know, d regardless of where they come from, what they believe, what their gender is, what their sexuality is, you know. If you're a human, you have a you know you have you have a heart pumping, you breathe air, uh, you know that that can possibly be something that uh, that's part of your life. So she picks up this coin and she's like, "Hey, I found this coin. It's a two month coin." She said, "Do you think somebody from AA left it for him?" <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, "Maybe." <laughs> I'm like, "Nah, bitch." Like that. <laughs> I said, uh, "No." I said. I left it for him, and she looked up at me, and uh, she's just crying. She said to me, how did you know that he had two months? Wow. And I was like, fuck, uh, I didn't yeah. know. Like, he went to jail. You know, he was on the run. Like, there was some, you know, my parents were like, we are, uh, you know. There was a point where uh, it was like uh, certain cousins who just, you know, we just didn't fuck with, right? Um and again, it's in the family. It's totally in the family. And, you know, I said, I didn't know. She was like, yeah. So she told me the story about, you know, he was in jail. He got out for two months. He got a two-month coin. And um, then he went on a run. And that was it, you know. So, but the timing of that uh, was super powerful. And, and I think a huge piece about, uh, you know, higher power stuff, prayer stuff, meditation stuff and recovery didn't come naturally to me. It was very, it's still like very alien, but I do it because I need it, yeah. you know, and I, and I need to do it so that I can have the life that I want to have. Were you always in tune to prayer and meditation? Um, I was, you know, I remember always like I read, finding these fucking journals, like stop, stop smoking pot, stop fucking dudes, stop drinking. Um, God help me. God help me. So, uh, I was always on this journey of like, you know, whatever it is that brought me closer to something bigger than myself. And um cuz God was always there. God was life. always there. But the, it's the funny thing is uh you know, my parents grew up in communism. They grew up in the former Yugoslavia. They didn't practice their religion. They were ethnically Albanian. You know, my father had to change my name to sound more Albanian because it sounded too Slav and you know, they, they, for me, I'm not a historian, but, um, you know, for me, the Albanians are like the you know, Indo-Europeans. They're like the black and Latinos of that Eastern Europe, you know, German, uh, I'm sorry, not the Germans, uh, you know, the Greeks, the Romans. I mean, they had the Illyrian Empire. They had their own, um, you know, the Ottomans used to call us Ardenot, which was like the honorable slaves, right? They you know, they left us uh, Islam and then, uh, you know, communism and Tito. I mean, Tito was awesome. You dropped your wallet. This is, you know, on accounts of my dad. He's like, you dropped your wallet. It'd still be there three days later. Like, nobody wanted to have their hand chopped off, you know. Right. But, you know, the Quran was like on the shelf and somebody dusted it every once in a while. But when the guest came, you had this huge, like, tray, silver tray that I remember having to, like, balance um Budweiser's and Corona's from like slipping from one side to the other with you know because we're very hospitable people so 
But not drinking them, serving them. Serving them. Uh, see, I don't remember my first drink. I remember uh, my first drunk. I was 17. I was hanging out with the doorman. We were on 52nd and, sec- and uh, 58th and 2nd. My dad was a super there. And um, I said to the doorman who I would hang out with, it's summertime, I'm just like 17. And um, I said, I'll be right back. He's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go to the Turkish spot. And, you know, all of these like Middle Eastern um, places we would all have our uh, go at. They didn't, they didn't cart us. I took all my friends, you know. That was the spot. That was the spot, like half naked, belly dancing, 17-year-olds, drunk. Please like, go for in. it. Please, <laughs> please, please come, come in. in and have a beer. You know, I had a friend that would, um, she'd be like, hey, Haz, can you come by? Because this place is dead. I'm like, I'll be right there. It was like 75th and 2nd. But, um. You know, that bartender was just, like, fucking plowing uh, screwdrivers, and I kept drinking it, and all of a sudden, I'm in a cab. I, my parents had no idea where the fuck I was. The doorman didn't know where the fuck I was. And I'm in a cab, and the windows are rolled down, and I'm fucking puking. And that shit was, like, projectile whipping back into my face, and... It was a shithole, right? And then I, he, I'm in an apartment, and this guy's a lot older. I'm like, does he not know I'm fucking underage? And then there's a, the other following thought was like, do you think he gives a fuck, you stupid bitch? Get the fuck out. And I remember, you know, them teaching me the foxhole prayer. This was the foxhole prayer. Like, God, give me enough motor function to unlock this door. Like, he started kissing me and touching me, and I was like, what the fuck? I'm 17, you know? My father is going to kill me. I still need to be a virgin. Like, oh, my God. Um, Did you get out? I got out. You know, it was just... And then back into a cab, and again, like, that was the story, puking and (laughs) the wind (laughs) knocking that puke right back into me. Um, And then I, you know, I, I got into the apartment... And uh, the, actually, the doorman was like, yo, where the fuck were you? I was like, pay for the cab. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you later. <laughs> covered in vomit, but you made it out. You made it out. Well, but that was like the story where I was always in these places with these like very weird dudes. And, I, I, you know, thank God nothing ever happened. Right. You know? Yeah, definitely. I'm um, sure there's a bunch of women that can relate to that shit, you know? The funny thing is that dude is probably at a meeting right now. Being like, <laughs> I don't I know. I can't believe I had I, a 17-year-old in my house, and who knows what would have happened, but thank God she left. It's like, it's fucked up, you know? But be, it, he, the human experience is not a perfect experience. And that's, our, that's the whole point of being human and, you know, having that experience and bearing witness to other people's experience and being able to find it in ourselves to not be so fucking judgeful. You know, and try to find some, you know, a level of boundaries, but unconditional love. Like, that's, it's some real shit. Well, the coolest thing to me, and I want to, like, get into, like, when your life went from being a 17-year-old belly dancing, beer copping, puking (laughs) on yourself kid to being an unmanageable alcoholic where you needed help no matter what. But first, I want to just say, like, and it's something that I've been really contemplating a lot because I got sober in Manhattan around those kind of very bougie meetings, you know, bougie or less bougie or super, like, grimy or whatever. And now I go to this meeting that's not like that. It's very, uh, like, old clamors and firemen and cops, and they probably are all 
Trump supporters, but you don't hear about it at the meeting. All you hear about is the same shit you hear at the bougie meeting or at the grimy meeting. And it's like, what an amazing, like, we're so lucky. You know what I mean? Like, because it's like, that's some really, really fine-tuned spirituality. Like where everybody is about love and tolerance and helping the next person and, and, and being about it. And like, and like, you can be this weirdo Muslim girl or this fucking black dude or this Republican guy or this gay guy and show yeah. up at a meeting and say you're struggling and everybody wants to help. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I was afraid of going to these bougie meetings because like my first experience with like an actor was like Shannon Dorothy from 90210. I was 14 years old. I was like a waitress at my father's friend's restaurant and I'm like giving her her fucking toasted bread and butter and I was like, you remind me of... She's like, no, no, I get that all the time. No, no, no. And I looked at her, I was like, you really? I'm 14. Like, you know, just sheltered, like, not knowing a whole lot about life other than, like, I had to grow up and get married and have babies. And my dad was like, I really want you to be in school, but um, we'll get into education. I wasn't academically inclined. But um, <clears throat> that was my first experience with, like, somebody famous. And she was a complete fucking asshole. So I said, I'm never going to get starstruck. I'm never, like, you eat, sleep, shit, just like me. Um, and it deterred me from going to these, like, bougie meetings where, like, celebrities went. And, I like, never, I don't think I ever saw a celebrity there. No, but, like, Perry Street. And there's just, like, random downtown meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. So when did it go from, like, you know... 17-year-old Manhattanite enjoying the night to, like, fucking soul sickness. Oh, man. Um, you know, my parents were just, like, supers, and my mom was a cleaning lady, and it was always, like, watch what you do, watch what you do, watch what you do. So there was so much control, you know? But what I noticed was if I had two beers or if I had two fucking bottles, it was the same. Like, uh, it was puking. You know, I remember because growing up, it was only Corona and Budweiser. And so I thought that was like the only thing the world had to offer. And God, I needed to get out of myself. So that was like what I drank until I found like Blue Moon and Barefoot Moscato and uh, tequila. Like me and Jose, we, we wooed many a men, you know, we, were, we, we got down. Um, but, you know, I joined, um, I joined the city right and i was so young i was like 24 years old so you know oh god like i'm approaching like 13 and a half years but um it didn't matter what happened like our you know if it was a burned baby if it was a rape it was death how much can was, we talk about this um i, I, I can't do toes. too many details but like you know i i worked for the city i i do well, i still so you're do. a frontline worker we say uh, that. Yeah, well, first responder. There we go, right? First responder. Like, shit got real. There I was. I had one kid. Um, I was dipping in and out of spirituality. I ran away from home. I got married to this beautiful Syrian prince. Uh, not a real prince, but he was my prince. God rest his soul. And, um, you know, just my behavior just fucked up that marriage. And then I found my daughter's father and... He, he drank vodka, and I loved it, too, you know? And then I got pregnant, and I was like, fuck, I got to grow up. And it was constantly, like, if I was religious and I wasn't drinking, but I was sleeping with men. And if I wasn't religious, then I was drinking a whole... Like, there was just always shuffle of 
like something um, to take you out of yourself. something always something whether it was like keeping my head prostrated on the floor just bowing down or uh rocking my hips on something or drinking a bottle of whatever um so there was this always repetitive insanity of like the that rush for like excitement you know you'd be like hey Haas, we're going skiing like motherfucker i'm on top of the mountain already like i will see you up there i wouldn't even pack i'd be like oh i'll just run to the walmart and just grab a couple things and like now i'm like oh we're going somewhere oh i need to pack for like three days <laughs> get the children ready you know um so fast forward you know the the coping mechanisms and um i knew that i was an alcoholic and an addict way before I, I, I remember that first drunk. I remember these feelings of like constantly feeling uncomfortable. I felt ugly. I didn't feel beautiful until I saw my daughter and she was about four or five years old. And people would say, my God, this kid is beautiful. I'm a mashallah. But uh, I'd be like, that kid? She, <laughs> she looks like me. And they're like, yeah, she looks like you. She's beautiful. You're beautiful. Don't you know you're beautiful? And I'm looking at people like, what? You know? And I remember this for some reason when I was in rehab and I started this practice where I would brush my teeth and I would make fucking eye contact right. with myself until I was done brushing. I mean, toothpaste all over. But, you know, I learned to build that... Um, self-love. That self-love. But... Constantly going back to um, all these different levels of absolute insanity, you know, person, place, and thing. And in the end, it was, I got knee surgery, right? It fucked up my knee at work. And I remember uh, coming out of, I had to, torn my meniscus. I remember coming out of the anesthesia and I remember thinking like, I want to be high forever. You know, and I was, that was it. You know, I had this thing where I'd shave my head because I wanted to control something in life, you know. And you can see, like, my hair is, like... In charge. In charge. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes. You know, even with a mask, they're like, hey, look, it's Hazi, you know. Um, but... And that was it. There was this run of uh, trying to maintain, oh, the pills, the drinking, oh, don't do this. What was the life like uh, at its worst? Like, you were working, you had your kid when you were at your worst, your first kid? I had, well, yeah, I had two children, and I just dropped them off, you know? I'm like, oh, my parents can raise them. Oh, his father, who's an addict, can raise him better, you know? It was every, whatever got in the way, and I always felt like they got in the way. Um, got in the way of getting high and getting get, out of yourself. Get, yeah, getting out of myself. You know, my daughter, I shipped her to Ukraine, Dave. I was like, you know what? I can't handle this. You're going to Ukraine to your dad. And then you, you're going to your dad. And I'm just going to have a good old time. Um, and what was that? Like, how did, how did, what was the time like? And, and when did you realize that that wasn't going to work for you? Um, the time was like towards, oh, I'm trying to think. <clears throat> so when must, was that? Samaya so must have been like, so, it was, um, my son must have been like a year old. He's 11 now. And, you know, I was with his dad, who's also a first responder. And we <clears throat> were fucking beating the shit out of each other. And, you know, my insanity with him was, 
you know, I heard AA. AA was amazing because he went. And I wanted to make sure that he went. And I was like, wow, these people really got it together. But this shit has nothing was to do sober? with me. He was, he's still struggling, you know, to this day. Um, and there's a part where I'm like, I get you. And I love you. But there's, and there's another part of me, like, you know, the last time he went out, I looked at him. Um, and this was like maybe last year. I said to him, I was like, you go out one more time. I'm going to have a fucking makeshift memorial for you. Because I can't let you keep dragging my son um, through, through this. this. So he knew that I was, you know, dead serious. But, um, you know, he's doing his best. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing how much my children protect their dads, you know. Because I guess they don't see them as often. It's like, I remember I didn't pick my daughter up. I was late, like hungover from uh, kindergarten. And she was in the office, and she was crying. And she's almost 16 years old, and she will still have anxiety about, you know, being picked up late. I'm like, girl, I, I've given you a life beyond my wildest, your wildest dreams. You worried about me being late? Like, come on now. But, you know, the rage was um, always something, the anger, you know. If it wasn't all these things to take me out of myself, these, these people, the rage was, like, real. But... You know, Gilbert had, Gilberto, uh, no, Gil had taken Noah, and because, um, I, you know, he's like, you're mad. He used to tell me, your disease is sleeping. Wait for your disease to wake up. You're, you're going to be in a, in, in a world of pain. And, um, you know, he was right, because he was my disease at one point. Um, so there, like, I sent my daughter off to her dad. He took my son, and there I was alone in my apartment, with my bald head, uh, managing, you know, pills and drinking and stuff. Please, Did I answer the question? Because, you know, I have hor uh, that's a horrible ADHD. I think you <laughs> answered some of the questions. The question is, when the kids left and you're in, you know, you're kind of doing your thing however you want, how bad did it get? And then what did it take for you to decide to get better? Like, I, I, like I knew that there was a world that was out there willing to help me, you know? When did you know that you thought you were I was, a candidate for it? Oh, I was high as hell. Uh, I, I was standing in my kitchen, um, limping, just standing in my kitchen, and I thought to myself, I got to go. Like, I got to go away. I'm going to fucking die. There's going to be a death certificate with drug overdose. There's going to be a death certificate of suicide. Um, because as a first re responder, you saw that. I mean, basically, the interesting thing also is you're a first responder and a Muslim who's basically living godlessly and <laughs> dangerously. Yeah. So you had those two things always there hovering was, around. Exactly. You. There was so much guilt. There was so much, like... Weird you know, self-knowledge. Yeah, and all I knew is that um, I had to go. And I ran to Target, like, high as a fucking kite, picking out shirts and pants that I... And I bought a pair of Converse, black Converse sneakers. And I called my friend Keith, who was my partner at the time. And um, I knew he had some time, you know? He had some time in the program. He was away. And I was like, Keith, I'm going to die. He's like, I will call you back. So we have this thing called a counseling unit, right? And um, 
they arranged for us to to go away and it was voluntary and I just knew like there was you know when they say play it forward there I just kept playing my death over and over and it wasn't pretty it was dumpsters and my body tangled it was uh, hanging off of fire escape it was hanging off of it was crashing uh it was just constant just you know, sometimes I was like, is this just PTSD uh, from work that I this imagination kind of plays on, you know? But, and, you know, he came over uh, and he, uh, he, uh, he arranged, he, he slept on my floor. He's, he said, I'm going to sleep right here on your floor, okay, Hazi? And, like, I went out, I shaved my head, I, I bought his fucking $500 wig that I named Angela. You also named your car Julie, but that's yeah. <laughs> like my, I name everything. My motorcycle was Maleficent. Um, so he said, I'll, "I'm gonna be right here. I want to make sure that you live for Good the night. morning, you know." And they're coming to pick you up, and we're gonna go to Pennsylvania. And I remember waking up, and I was like, "Oh, I had my regiment, you know, my uh, tasting the rainbow, you know." having my barefoot Moscato and I put on a gown and Keith looked at me and said, where the fuck do you think you're going? And I said, I'm going to rehab in a gown. And he said, hell no, you're not like a, like a, like a parent to a child. You are going to go and put on jeans. And he's pointing the finger at me and out, you know, out to my room. And I'm like stomping like a fucking toddler. I'm like, no, I want to, uh, it was right right before my 30th birthday. So I just made eight years, September 3rd. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah. So in my 30s, I've been sober, which is, like, fucking crazy, you know? But I didn't, I didn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, married, divorced, you know, but... That, I mean, that's a whole other story. But, you know, he said to me, um, I remember I was putting on my jeans, and as fucked up as I was, Dave... For a split second, I felt like there was this film over my eyes that just created this clarity. And, you know, I, that's what I, I want to assume that they called, like, moment of grace, right? And he said to me, do you have anything else? Do you have anything else? Like, wh where are the rest of the booze? Where are the rest of the pills? And, and because uh, I got to get ready. You know, he had five months of sobriety. He was by himself, like... Not recommended, no, right? He put himself in danger. He he really he really did. He was a first did. responder in all senses of the word, right? He really was, and and he's so, still sober to this day too. He's he's in April of uh, 2012, and I'm in September of 2012. And he and I said, I remember putting on my my jeans so slowly, just so fucking slowly. And I said, all right, all the Xanax is in the you know dresser and. Uh, there's a bunch of cold bottles in the freezer, and there he was just dumping it all out. Um, and then I went to Marworth. And those poor nurses, you know, they didn't know what to make of me. I had this limp from knee surgery. I wanted to chain smoke. Everybody in the heroin addicts were terrified of me, you know. Why? Because I, I just like a fucking shuffling. I had, it was... The end of August, I had a wool sweater on with this huge black wig, and um, I had a shuffle, and I was chain smoking, and they were just 
nobody want to have anything to do with me. And those poor nurses at Marworth, God bless them, just would chase me around. Um, but the, I remember detoxing and... But detoxing those pills <clears throat> is like... And the alcohol is crazy. I, when I went to make my first AA meeting in the rehab for myself... And there, you know, somebody came in there, is this anyone's first AA meeting? And I stood up all fucked up with my wig and my, you know, grandma's sweater. And I was like, eh, me, I'm Ozzy, I'm an alcoholic. And uh, you guys are a jar of awesome sauce. And like, everyone just went wild. It was so weird. I was like, this is great. I love this. Let's get sober. This is fucking awesome. So you knew right away that it was going to be, it would suit you. Um, I, all I knew is I needed happiness. Right. And because misery, the other side of it was misery. That that was the other side of it was death, right? And I remember that, you know, look to your left, look to your right, jails, institutions, and death. And um, you know, when I think about the str- the the struggle of con- uh, conception, right, and birth, and the chances, there's not another David. Like they can't go back in time for our parents to, you know, to do it again. There's not another Hazi. There's not another Linda. There's not another Chris, right? There's, we are who we are. And, you know, I'm like, (laughs) whenever I go to Marworth, which I'm I'm going tomorrow, I usually end it with like, you guys, we are the spermies that won. Right. That's brilliant. That is fucking amazing. Like, we don't always all find purpose. We don't always find... But happiness, happiness, and money, exactly. Ha- success, you know, we don't, but we, but we found a, a way to live. Exactly, we found the way to keep survival at minimum. You know, just do the next right action. Be accountable to somebody. Uh, I mean, I remember my first sponsor, that beautiful gay man. And I remember calling him up, just screaming about, like, I just want to sit on this guy's face. What's wrong with me? You know, and he's like, just take a breath. Just take a breath. You know, gay AA was what saved me in my, sobri- in my early sobriety because um, I remember rolling out of rehab. There was this app called um, whatever it was, and... Um, so they were like, you are also a sex addict. And they made me do uh, my first step in SLAA. And I remember, okay, I remember my first step in AA, right? And then they made me do the SLAA meeting uh, step. And I said, I remember the fucking earth shaking beneath me when I was reading that one line after the other, after the other. And... In the SLAA first step. Yep. And um, what kind of stuff was it? I don't know if I. Please, come on. Uh, I'm on the edge of my seat over here. <laughs> Just anything you can imagine for, uh, you know, for validation. Right. You know, taking people hostage. And getting uh, out of your head, too. Getting out of my head, using people, um, you know, just not kind things and and constantly subjecting my body to uh you know just exposure to everything and anything violence disease the craziest thing is the ability and i've done it you know is to use another person as a substance it's insane but it's real 
It's so real. And there's a there's a chapter um, in the SLAA book called with, uh, Withdrawal, Withdrawn. I, don't quote me. It's been like eight years since I read it. But I remember the feeling after I read it, like I was, I, I thought to myself, this is what heroin must feel like, withdrawing from another person um, to that to that level, in emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. Um, so again, like, I found this app. It left me in front of the LGBT center, right? Backstory is I went to human idiot school, humanities, on 80, 18th and 8th Avenue, right? The school I almost got subjected to. <laughs> Continue. So I was getting high in those projects, you know, with my friends back in high school, and here I was... Back in Chelsea... At an SLAA meeting. At, no, at an AA meeting. The SLAA meeting was up on 34th Street. I but went to the meeting on 34th Street, the SLAA meeting on 34th Street. I was, I was taken... I was so confused. <laughs> As, I mean, because I had been to a lot of Narcotics Anonymous, a fair amount of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I went to SLAA, and it just confused me. Yeah. Because it's, so, it's like, it's not counting days. It's days since fucking whores or days yep. since porn or yep. days since masturbating, masturbating. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. and i was like dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it found it very confusing so i was like i just i just i stuck with aa because it was simplified thing yep you know i i'm and I I, all is applicable you know with with yes. aa and big book like it was just all applicable for me me too it, for wor- me, it worked it, it worked all it's the same principle and it's a principle that guides you away from basically having an external solution to an internal problem. Yeah. And and I've been to so many different, like AA meetings, NA meetings, SLA meetings, CA meetings. Like if someone says to me, this is a great meeting, they have a solution, I'm there. I can just take it and apply it to whatever I needed to. But here, like I'm at the um, LGBT center and uh, – I don't, and I got out of rehab, right? I had this day with my brother. I ran the Brooklyn because I needed to buy a new wig, right? Uh, God forbid I went out into the world, sh- you know, shaved my head. That was my thing. I would get pissed off. Why? I don't explain that to me. What's up with wigs and head shaving? And, and uh, you know what it was? Whenever my mom would piss me off as a teenager, to piss her off, I would shave my head. head. And that was like this reset of my, like, crazy... Craziness. It's like drinking the poison to hurt you. Oh, absolutely. It's like a classic physical yeah, yeah. manifestation. Always. You know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, but there I was with my brand new wig, and um, this beautiful man walks up to me. I mean, I look like I'm fucking, God knows what. I wish someone would have taken a picture of my first day out of rehab, you know. And they gave me a good foundation in Marworth. They really, really did, you know. And that's why I keep going back every year to show them my gratitude and to show people that, like, yo, out here, it fucking sucks. Sober, son of a bitch, everything is real. You're going to have to fucking feel this stuff. You're going to have to deal with it. You don't have to deal with it right now. You can wait a few minutes. You can wait a few years, you know, but you're going to have to deal with this shit. So this gorgeous man comes up to me, and he's like, are you okay? I was like, I need a meeting. I need a meeting. He's like, well, follow me. I was like, okay. And I follow him, and it was West Wingers on a Thursday night at 9 p.m., and he takes me in the back, and this is the old LGBT center, right? It's scary, and I was like, where the fuck is this guy taking me? And he's just like, come follow me. His name was Nico. And um, he, uh, he sat down, and I sat, and I looked over, and I was like, holy shit, there's beautiful men here. Like, they told me to stay away from the boys. Fuck, fuck. 
And he's like, you okay? I was like, they told me to stay away from the boys. And he looked over at me and he said, honey, these boys, you have nothing these boys want. And I said, what? Oh, uh, oh, shit. All right. And like, you know, I thought being naked in front of someone, uh, feeling that power and thinking I have arrived. Man, that first meeting was like, holy shit. Are these the fucking pearly gates? These 20 gay men? that are going to teach me something. Like, they were the... I kept calling them the, the kingdom of queens. And they raised me. They fucking raised me. They taught me how to... When they were like, you need to play with your son. I was like, I would take my son. He was three years old. And they would teach me how to take a train and go choo-choo, choo-choo, you know? They, I'm like, what do, what do I do when he, keep, when he wants me? And they're like, you go and you sit down with him. You know, every time my children wanted intimacy, I would become lethargic. I get lethargic <laughs> with my two-year-olds. Yeah. Like, I, I, even you saying that fucked me up a little mm-hmm. bit. Because, like, I, I would make jokes that it felt like being on drugs when I had to sit down and play with my two-year-old because I'd, like, I'd like But that's out. the intimacy. But gay AA saved me because had I gone to um, heterosexual meetings, I probably would have had, like, nine abortions and... I everybody wouldn't have been sober. Want, everybody would have wanted the thing that they didn't want. Yeah. And you would have felt your power. You know, I, I remember when Keith was turning, you know, the guy that slept on my floor, he was turning maybe three years old or two years old. And I said, I'm going to try going to a straight meeting. And it was in the Bronx. And uh, I remember meeting a bunch of people and these older men, and I just, and maybe it was me. I don't want to accuse anybody, but I felt like I was fucking naked. I was like, oh, yeah. I remember thinking, like, this is why I didn't want to go to heterosexual meetings, because I didn't want to be objectified. And then I understood why, when, my, um, when my gay friends were coming in, when people I was meeting that were getting sober, young gay men, and the things that were going on in that, with the older gay men, like I, I, I totally I it's related to how that. that goes. Yeah, I totally related to that, and and I understood. But um, see, I always wanted to be objectified in gay AA. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference. I, I'd go to gay AA, and people would give me nice looks, and it would be like, finally, I've arrived. Somebody, somebody's <laughs> interested. This is great. Um, fucking straight AA, though. It's like I think it's a double-edged sword. Like mm-hmm. I think there is. There's something great about two addicts or alcoholics with recovery finding each other in a nice way mm-hmm. in that situation. It's rare, and it's, and it's like, how do you kind of uh, deal with brothers and sisters in recovery with that? But you figure out a way, and I think, I think when, whenever I hear about two... Like, I get, I get emails from people, like, long-term marriages from people who met in treatment. They were, like, the rehab romance that made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that's the coolest thing when it works out. Yeah, I mean, I went home with somebody from rehab. You know, that was great sex, but it didn't, it didn't he had out, his though. friends, like, sending pills, and I was like, I need to fucking get out of here, you know? I, I, t- I took my sobriety, and I fucking ran with it like it was a football over dead bodies, man. Like, I, you know, just over the bodies, 
because that fucking those anything that moved was potential zombie that was going to take me down with it and i i wanted nothing to do with it but this one man was like you are the fucking happiest day counter i have ever met and i looked at him and i was like if you fucking only knew what i felt like on the inside you know just i'm happy because the the energy around me is happy the energy around me is they want to stay sober you know, we went to see a movie for the first time when I was in sobriety. And there we were, 15 gay men watching Pitch Perfect. And I heard, and I know I'm such a dork, but I'm about to cry. And I heard belly laughs from the soul like I've never heard before. And that's where so much comfort came. I was like, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I have no idea what this world is going to be like. But whenever I hear this belly laugh for coming from a sober person, uh, it just does something to me, you know? And it's wild. It is. I, I think the funny thing is it's, it's just oh a weird... Oh, my God, I'm such a crybaby. No, give me a break. You didn't cry when you sent your kid to the Ukraine, <laughs> but you cried over Pitch Perfect. I think that's great. Um, uh, what was but I, I did get my kid back from the Ukraine. I was like a year sober, <laughs> and the war broke out, right? They, there was, Kiev was burning, and I remember calling her dad. I was like, Volva, what the fuck is going on? He's like, everything is okay, Hasna. Everything is okay. I'm like, is the kid going to school? What's happening? You know, I had a year... I had a boo. I, I met my husband and my ex-husband in, in AA. I, I thought to myself, I'm safe in KAA. There's no heterosexual. So what happened? What I just said oh, yeah. happened. Totally. Like, there's no heterosexual. That, and I remember my friend saying, how are you going to meet someone if you're always around gay men? And I said, well, that's one fucking castle wall he's going to have to climb. And lo and behold, like three weeks up. later, he shows up. He, he was a medic. And... um. I was like, he looks familiar. And he worked where I worked. And, you know, we, he was meeting his sponsor. And it was West Wingers. And he was at the wrong place at the right time, meeting me in that fucking scary-ass staircase. And he sat down next to me. And I was like, so how do you like gay meetings? I didn't know what to say to him, right? He's like, oh, I think they're amazing. You know, he goes, it's great. Was, he goes, but I love pussy. And I was like, I'm happy that you love pussy. Very happy to meet you. <laughs> and that's like, that was it, you know? And what's the crazy thing is like. So you never think a line like that is going to work. It's, it, <laughs> you, need have, you need to have the right person there for that line to really work. Yeah, uh, me, right? He, yeah. he, read you, he read you like a book, right? That's funny. Which is amazing because like, you know. Because I, I say that to people and they're just yeah, like, they're like, like, they're grossed out. Yeah, totally. Holy shit, when they're like, don't get in, you know, don't get involved, don't do this, don't do that. Like, now I get, like, after I married and divorced him and lost my hair and still stayed sober and buried my cousin. What do you and mean you lost your hair? Like, he stressed me the fuck out to the point where I woke up because he became my higher power. And I woke up one morning and I had fucking lots, like, locks of hair just on my pillow. Um, you know, I didn't even know what fucking apples I liked. I didn't know green apples, yellow apples, red apples. And then I was like, yo, I fucking hate apples. They hurt my teeth. Actually, when, when Brian and I met, I had four months of sobriety and he had about two, maybe almost two years. 
And then after my first year of sobriety, he asked me to marry him. And I was like, sure. But I thought, I should just marry this man because he likes me. And no one else is going to like me. And this is who I'm going to settle for, right? All those insecurities that I still didn't grow from. Like, still just a 17-year-old in a Turkish restaurant thinking that it's okay to belly dance on the bar, you know? Give me that attention. Make the parties. This is what I want to do. And in sobriety now, I walk into a room and I'm like, do I need to be fucking, do I need to be heard? And if I need to be heard, does it really need to come from me? Like, what is it that I am going to uh, offer, you know? And I don't, I don't want any of that shit. So I got this kid in Ukraine and she's nine years old. I remember I had buddy passes from my, my father-in-law, and I woke up. It was like March something. Well, she was your kid, though. She's my kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah she was my kid. She wasn't this kid in she, Ukraine. No, no, no. It wasn't just some she, weird Ukrainian <laughs> kid. It was your kid. No, that, that was, you know, the, I call her the vessel of my soul, you know, and my son, he's the apex of my soul. And I woke up and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, I got sober. I got sober to live fucking life. And this kid's in Ukraine and there's fucking bullets flying. And she's an American citizen. And that's what we ran from. You know, that, that's what my father was so terrified that, you know, the conflict in Kosovo and Bosnia. And, you know, they thought that shit was going to start pop off in the 80s. Um, and, you know... Uh, I, I was I was at the mercy of God in the airport on this buddy pass, and I said, I'm coming for her. I don't know how I'm going to get there, and I'm waiting for Zurich, and Zurich's full, and I'm waiting for Germany, and Germany's full, and, oh, and I paid for the Ukrainian ticket uh, for the Ukrainian airlines. And finally, it was like Brussels. Brussels, from Brussels to Ukraine. Who's in Brussels? Oh, shit, my father's family. So I get to Brussels. I hang out. I love them. Great people. Um, they're like, you want a drink? I'm like, nah. It's safer for society, you know? I love it when people are like, do <laughs> you want to... I need to make it to Ukraine. <laughs> I need to make it to Ukraine. But I love it when people are like, you don't drink, Haas? I'm like, nah. You get to keep your husband. You get to keep your wallet. You know, I don't drink. It's a bonus for you to <laughs> it's, a bonus, it's a bonus for yeah, society. It's a win-win. You know, and some people are like, oh, my God, I would love to see you fucking drunk. I'm like you wouldn't actually like me, you know? I'm a fucking asshole. I'm a happy up until I'm an asshole. So I spent 15 hours in Ukraine. I picked this kid up, like a small, you know, the small child that she is. And like, oh my God, is, is she real? Like, Sumeya's mom's here. Is she real? And, um, you know, I brought her back in Sumeya's first day of uh, third grade. In, like, three weeks, they're like, she's got to take the Common Core. I'm like, what? You know, these moments where it's like, I thought being naked in front of someone, thinking I have arrived, and in sobriety where I was like, like, don't fuck with me anymore. I'm a sober fucking woman. I can remember most shit, you know? Uh, I'm accountable. So, anyway, I get this kid back, this poor kid. She's nine years old. She's used to, like the private school equivalent, but in Ukraine, where she has a uniform and she sits with her hands folded and waits for the teacher to enter the room. And she looked at me and she cried and she said, Mommy, 
these American children don't listen to their teacher. I'm trying to help the teacher, and the teacher doesn't have focus, and and she stressed the fuck out. And this is a kid like who wanted a planner at nine years old, you know. And uh, she needed structure. Yeah, she needed structure because her alcoholic mother, rageaholic mother, um, didn't give that to her. So it was a blessing that I was like, you know what, you're in the way. So, you know, be with your dad. And then my son, you know, when I went to go and get custody for him. Dave, it was like walking through a fucking lavender field and picking the most delicious cupcakes. Like when I put my mind to it and my intention to it and the intention just being the next sober action, it wasn't that easy because he didn't want to show up to court. He was like MIA. But I just kept trying, and when it was all over, that's what it was, this feeling of, like, walking through a lavender field, like, oh, my God, I'm a sober woman. I've got not only one kid back, but both kids back. And they're young enough that... You can move forward with I can them move forward seamlessly. with them. We went to an Explosions in the Sky. Have you ever heard of Explosions in the Sky? Oh, you got you, you to gotta listen to them. Anyway, if there's anyone that I'm going to be, like... Uh, fan crazy for it's these guys but i don't even remember their names i just love their music and uh, i was joking with them this was like uh last summer i was like don't worry guys i won't drink anything or shoot heroin i'll be right back and they look at me and they're like mom don't you fucking dare just don't you know my my daughter's like don't you fucking dare joke about that and my son's like mom i'll never speak to you again if you don't stay sober and then the ongoing joke is Noah was like, I don't know, four or five years old. And he's like, Mommy, am I allergic to anything? You're like, probably like, drugs and alcohol. <laughs> I, him, I was like, yes, honey, you're allergic to alcohol. You have two addict, addict alcoholic parents. And, um, you know, a few years later, later, someone was like, no, are you allergic to anything? And he's like, alcohol. That's so <laughs> I was funny. like, fuck. Well, it's like navigating. I, I, I got, um, I moved back in with my wife and daughter when she was uh jesus christ five and a half or something and 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 i had custody in the first bit but like you know the kid gets to experience you for who you are and it's uh it's the biggest blessing i mean that's what got me better you know that's what and it wasn't i didn't do it for her i did it because i couldn't brush my teeth and look in the mirror knowing that i couldn't do that for her. Yeah. Like, I couldn't be that... Pe- How could I live with myself? Do you know what I mean? Like, I just yeah, couldn't. Absolutely. You know, like, I would have died because I would have had no will to live, you know? Um, but, man, it's like... Uh, it's a crazy story. It's The amazing part is, you know, I tell them all the time, I was like, I, I need you to understand something about your mother, and you're a part of your mother. I tell them one is too many and a thousand is never enough. I need you guys to understand this. I Do they get it? They get it when, uh, like, when they're shoveling themselves with chocolate or, you know, ice cream or um, when they get fixated on, you know, something. Um, I remember my daughter, oh, God, this was like Ramadan, like maybe two years ago. And um, she's, she started getting into like grunge and she's listening to Nirvana and like all the shit that I listened to when I was younger. And she's like, I wonder what, she, uh, no, this is not what she sounds like, but she sounds like I'm this to you. me. <laughs> she's like, I wonder what drug I'm going to like more, mom. Like, we're in a Turkish restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. waiting for. She? 
She's probably like 14 at the time, right? Okay, just the beginning of that sentence. Like <laughs> so what, 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 what did she offer She's you? She's like, I wonder if I like cocaine or heroin. And I said, uh, oh, the, wow, those are amazing choices, you know. And I said, let me know what is your drug of choice because I need to make a choice for myself. And she looked at me just absolutely baffled. She was like, what do you mean? I said, I, needed to, I need to make a choice whether or not I want you in my life because I fucking walked through hell and trudged through hell with my own shit. I will not, even though you came from me and I took you back and forth from Ukraine and I, and I fucked up a little bit, maybe a lot of bit, but... I refuse to let anyone fucking hold me hostage the way drugs, alcohol, sex, and, and shit did, um, even, even if you were my child. And uh, she's like, but, okay, let's talk about ages. And I'm like, okay. She's like, can I smoke pot? And I said, Sumeya, I would love, her name is Sumeya. Um, I said, Sumeya, I hope uh, you can at least wait till you're legal. Like, just, just wait till you're legal. She's like, what about sex? So she's eating her food, and I start taking my fork, and I start jabbing it into her plate, which she's fucking livid when you do that. She does not like to share her food. So she says, um, <laughs> she's sorry, fine. Yeah. It's hysterical. My daughter's she's the like, same way. She's like, what are you doing? I said, how about you treat your body like you treat that plate of food? And she's like, what? I said, you won't fucking let me take a dumpling off your plate. But you're telling me that you want to kiss somebody and lay next to somebody? Meanwhile, you can't even give me a hug when you come back from school and you get pissed off, like, you know, when I want to sleep next to you, you know? And she just looked at me like, holy shit. Like, I said, yeah, treat your fucking body like you do that plate of food. Protect it. And don't tell, don't let anyone tell you how you're supposed to feel. You figure that shit out. Figure out what you like and what you don't like. And then you can have an experience with somebody. And I looked at her. I was like, but under the age of 18, that motherfucker's getting locked up. <laughs> it's like, I'm not playing with any of that shit. And again, work, right? All of these experiences um, that come with work. And I said, if you're going to get stoned, find your uncles. Do it safely, you know? But there was these moments where she was just, the behaviors were so relatable. Sure. And I think that as an addict... As an alcoholic, I mean, I, I project myself onto my kids all the time. And, uh, and, I, and I fear, like, I do not want them to go through what I went through. And, and, but in the end, we really can't do anything we about it. We can't do anything about it. I, could take it. I took it to the hospital. I was like, talk to the doctor. But that's you the know? fucking craziest thing about all of this. You know, like, uh, before I went to my meeting this morning, before I met you this morning, we had a little family issue at home uh, where my daughter, like, she isn't in the class with all of her friends. She uh, has to wear a mask in school all day. She feels pressure all the time. The stupid fucking cat is spraying, and she's scared we're going to get rid of it. And Linda, who's not sober and not in recovery or any of it, looked at me this morning, and she said what I told her was, we can't control that stuff. And, and we can't control the way our kids are going to, or what they're going to do. You know what I mean? We only can deal with what we can deal with, right? I mean, it's... It's, it's, and it's terrifying to be an alcoholic or an addict like we are and to see any bit of that in our kid. It is like a fucking incredibly it's uncomfortable a, It's experience. almost like a death sentence. Like, a, you know, some, and something else happened. And um, it's that spermy thing. It's it, like it, they got to be here. Yeah, they got to be here. And uh, 
you know, there's how many times have they, you know, someone said to us, don't touch the fire. Don't fucking touch the fire. It's too hot. You're going to get burned. But our, all of our experiences are because we touched the fire. Because we were christened by it. Because we had to go through our experience. And, you know, another thing happened where I just said, you know what? Um, I'm going to send you. You're going to a meeting. I'm, I, this is where the meeting is. My friend is going to meet you there. And that's for you. How old? I, she, she was, this was last year, so she was 15. And, you know, she had to have her own experience. And I didn't fucking ask her anything. Like, what did you do? And she, eventually she came over and she, she spoke to me about it. But, uh, you know, I just think to myself, like, co- let's come back to the present. If it wasn't for sobriety, I wouldn't be able to sign for narcotics for work if it wasn't for like sometimes I get my narcotics and I'm like holy shit I'm a fucking adult right I used to like doing these things and now I'm I'm accountable (laughs) I'm accountable for them COVID hit and um I spiraled into utter insanity like I was writing on the walls I was like I'm afraid of the living the death are harmless and my daughter again this young woman looked at me and said Ma, you got a job to do. Don't get sick. Don't get hurt. And I looked at her. I said, holy shit, this kid just schooled me. Yeah. Like, big time. She's like, we're safe. You know what was out here in, like, Center Riches? And she was out in, um, in Orange County with my friend on a horse farm. And, and I did my job. And I cried for 40 fucking days. And... The, the women in the afternoon workshop, the women in um, my other home group, and, you know, they, they held on to me. They just, they just held on to me. I mean, it was some serious shit. I was like, am I sober to watch all this shit die? Am I sober to fucking do this and do that? And, you know, and my, my, my partners, there would be moments where, like, we'd finish a job. We'd finish an arrest, Right working in a rest up and not to get into too much detail because you know I would sit there and just cry and tell myself like I'm sober for a reason I'm sober for a reason I'm sober for a reason like this too shall pass this too shall pass like and you got to be of service to humanity, to New York, to, to people you to, know what I mean? To everyone. Because, only because you were sober. Only. Like the absolutely the you know, had I not had this foundation of, uh, had I not had this sober foundation and allowed people to help me emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, um, there would be no way. I, I probably would have just, I don't know, I might have just been like, nope, I'm out. You know, I quit. I don't want to have anything to I'm do sure with this. I'm sure people did that. You know, I'm sure they found their ways. And do you I, have to take an oath? Uh, yeah, it's the oath of Geneva. What is it? Uh, we would have to Google it. Right. <laughs> but it's, it, it, you know, the, one of the first couple lines is the service to humanity. And was it a calling? Did you, was it, was it <sighs> like, yeah. How, I mean, like, it, it I, was a calling because I wasn't academically inclined. You know, I was. But it, it suited you. It suited me because I didn't have to be in an office. I was like, wait, we get to go in an, you know, in an ambulance and we go off and we do things. And I have a partner and. 
it's amazing and we help people and um so it grabbed you though it it grabbed me i mean there's a you know there's a line in the quran and again i'm not your ideal muslim <laughs> you know i'm just don't don't but there's a there's a line it's like you know uh save one of humanity is like it's like saving all of humanity and killing one of humanity is like killing all of humanity right and i'm sure there's something in the torah as well like something very similar i'll, I'll take your uh, word for yeah, it you know and I, I used to, because the guilt and the shame was so huge, you know, and I would go to work and I'd be like, oh, maybe today I'll get some heaven points, <laughs> you know, like maybe today um, I get to do, I get to do this. And honestly, uh, not everybody can do this job. Um, I, I know I wouldn't want to be a teacher, uh, you know, like. We all have our um, we do we all have our, our calling, but uh, I love people. I love humanity. I love sharing stories with people. As long as you've got good juju, you know. If you don't have that good juju, I just uh, I'll pray for your ass not to be close to my ass and pray well, that your ass you know makes it to wherever it needs to go. And it's miraculous that that basically you could serve humanity and serve New York and do it only because. You got to, you know, be this belly dancing terror, you know, that got to find God and, and you know, life, which is just remarkable. It's you know, amazing. A8, like, the program taught me how to be an adult, but the fellowship taught me how to love myself. And yes, I had Islam, I had comparative religion. Um, I used to have this app where it's like, Buddha said this, and Mother Teresa said this, and they'd chime off, like, just at the moment where I was about to rip someone's head off, right? Um, you know, the program taught me spirituality, that I can, I can pray five times a day, right? And I can, but the conversation that, uh, that I try to maintain with the power greater than myself is, is the, the, the program's language, you know what I mean? Like, God help me do the dishes, God help, you know? Um, God help me not be crazy. God help me, restore me to sanity. Um, and, you know, the constant journey of, like, what's next? Uh, and that's why you drove out to, to Sayville today. <laughs> Fucking Sayville, man. I was telling Dave, like, earlier, uh, it's like, I was a little angry driving up here because I spent a couple years here just feeling like a hostage, you know, and, and I didn't really get out, and it was, this is a good experience. You know, another thing in sobriety is, like, making new memories. Like, I, I went to Puerto Rico for my honeymoon, and when we divorced, I was like, fuck it, I'm going back to Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico isn't ruined for you. Yeah, Puerto Rico's not ruined for me, because I had I have sober friends in Puerto Rico that, you know, I call, and I'm like, yo, how are you? You know, are you okay? Do you need anything? Um, sober people in different countries that I'm still in contact with, there's just a whole underground. I, I, I love to talk about like this, um, this imaginary Bill W. Dr. Bob mansion that all of these rooms are in, you know? This invisible mansion that covers the entire world that we get to go into these rooms and find a solution for our daily insanity. We out. And here we are. Bam. I mean, it's pretty... It's Dopey pretty Nation... Thank you for your time. Thank you, Hazi. Stay sober, friends. Amazing, amazing, <laughs> amazing. So that was Hazi. She was great. She is a different voice of the Dopey Nation. 
And uh, and I like hearing different voices. I think it's good to get different stuff. Yeah, she was wild. She was wild. The first time anybody's talked about belly dancing on the show. Belly dancing on the bar at 17. Yeah. She's a serious New Yorker. She talks like a New Yorker. Yeah. What's up? No, I'm not a New Yorker. I can't do it. Forget about it. You're a terrible Floridian. <laughs> um, and I love what Hazi said about, you know, addicts and alcoholics all over the world. And the, I love the Bill W. Mansion. I don't, I don't yeah. know if you enjoyed that, that metaphor. No, you can go to any country, well, I think, any, except Antarctica, and you can find a meeting. I bet you can find one in Antarctica. I, I bet, bet you they, in some research. In that science station, research, yeah, they have one. They, they probably have alcoholics out there. Um, but I, I do appreciate her coming on. And uh, just a follow-up from Matthew Wiedemeyer Carroll. First of all, in the history of Dopey, in, in almost five years and almost 260 episodes, that only happened twice. And the first time that happened was when Hot Wheels called in wanting to use in pretty much the same way. During the show. During we, the show. Because we were literally just about to start when that happened. Yeah, so Matt just texted me. He said... Because he had, he had texted some dealers, and the, he wrote, so the dealers are messaging me back, now telling me there's no way I'm letting you throw your life away. Oh, so wow, that's dealers nice. have a conscience. Dealers with a conscience. It's amazing. Nice. Amazing thing. Um, Ray, why don't you read, uh, read that dopey uh, email I gave you to read? Well, you know, I was just Googling this, because suddenly it started to sound like an urban legend, but it's so good. Um, okay. Uh, to Dopey Nation. I don't want to say the name. So I recently found y'all's podcast, and I've been bringing your show... I've been binging on your show while at work and driving. I'm a low-voltage data technician, so I'm always on the road between projects and wearing my headphones at jobs. I'm a recovering addict, and trust me when I say Chris and his stories hit close to home. I'm so sorry for your loss. On a lighter note, I've got a story for you. Let me start by saying you can't make this shit up. When I was a preteen, I started experimenting with drugs, pretty much anything I could get my hands on. I grew up in rural Alabama, and in my childhood, the biggest event of the summer season was when the carnival came to town. I've lived, I lived close enough to walk to the area, area they had set up in an abandoned gravel lot next to the grocery store. I scored a gravel some, lot? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I scored some quote-unquote cocaine from a guy I went to school with in preparation of the carnival. So I walked to the carnival, snorted all of the bag I spent $60 on. In hindsight, it was about the size of a ball in a port john and started waiting for it to kick in. I remember the taste being off, but I was told it was some pure shit, so I gave, the, gave it the benefit of the doubt. Bad idea. About 30 to 45 minutes later, I still had no side effects, so I'm like, fuck it. I'll ride the rides anyway. I hop on what's called the bullet. It's got two capsules on either end of a long armature that spins like a Ferris wheel, only faster. The capsules spin independently as well. As soon as I'm locked in, my stomach started to gurgle. I broke out into a cold sweat. I'm white-knuckling the handle. It's bad. I got a shit. Now. I plead with the attendant, but he laughs it off thinking I'm just scared. To my horror, it starts spinning. I'm wearing cargo shorts. About the third revolution, I can't hold back anymore. I let loose. Shit was slinging everywhere, showering down on everyone and everything in a 20-foot radius. Ring toss, funnel cake stand, 
tilt a whirl. Everything got shut down. Nobody won a goldfish that day. Uh. <laughs> I, I had to throw away my underwear and shorts, wrap my shirt around my waist, and make the longest walk of shame back to the house. So he's on a ride and the shit went everywhere? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hope you guys can relate. I'd love a shout out. Keep it up, guys. Please don't stop the show. Should I say his first name? Yeah. Josh. He just said he'd love a shout out. Josh. Shout man. out to Josh. I don't know what seems more unlikely that Josh was actually riding a, a, a high velocity spinning ride and shitting or that Trump has COVID. <laughs> they both sound incredibly <laughs> far fetched to me. But wait, I'm looking like how it sounds like he was a preteen. I don't know. I'm, I read that wrong. But the bullet. I remember I loved the carnival when it would come to town. It was like the highlight of my rural or my small town. And the bullet was the most terrifying thing, and I wasn't allowed to go on it. Dude, but imagine you're on you're at the carnival. And you're shitting. You're in your preteen heyday, and shit is flying off the bullet. Onto the funnel cakes. Yuck. I'm still I'm about to go uh redo my fourth step. I'm doing a nice job. I'm sponsoring this dude. I yeah. talk to him every day. We're reading the book. It's 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 doing me well, but I'm not like what I haven't been doing is calling my sponsor. No, you don't call your sponsor every day. No, no. Like I've gotten like I, it's very hard for me to do everything. I'm going to a meeting every other day, right? I'm praying every day. I'm meditating most days. I'm doing exercise, but now I'm not calling my sponsor. Oh, that's so well. You're doing five other things and not doing the main one. But to me, like. I talk to my sponsor at the same time every day. And sometimes we just go, hey, how's it going? Good. And then we hang up. But just having that structure is helpful. Now, I, I heard recently you confessed to your sponsor that you had sex with a police officer on multiple yep. occasions. Yep, yep, yep. So what did your sponsor say? He laughed. He thought it was funny. Did he do NWA, fuck the police? He said that, yeah. And he was like, well, this is why we don't do this, you know, because... You know, this is why I asked you to not do this. And I was like, okay, I won't. But then even tonight, like just before I got here at 630, I called him and he said, I was like, I'm going to do here. We're going to have pizza and we're going to do this, stay up late. And then we're going to go to this early morning meeting. And he's like, okay, as long as you're at the meeting in New York at 1230, make that your top priority, not anything else, which I guess means not any of this shit. Well, you're going to go to the meeting and yeah, that's that. Yeah. What about Hazi's sex stuff and gay AA stuff? Yeah, that was that was a first. I don't think we've had a one. Have we had a sex addict on here? I yeah. feel like we've had people talk about sex addiction. But she was talked about S L S. We've had people talk about slaw, slaw, um, but not as much as not as much. She talked about it quite a bit. We've had we've had a few people, and um, and could you relate to that kind of stuff using? A person as a substance? Uh, yeah, I guess. I'm still, you know, I'm I'm not sure about that with me. I don't know. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I can't. Wait, you're the king of the nightlife. You're the king of hooking up on scruff. Using people not knowing their names. How could you say that you can't relate to using a person like a substance? I guess, yeah. What I, do you mean you guess? I, people have said that to me. I just have not accepted that in myself. Denial is not just a river in Egypt, my friend. <laughs> and I will say with all um, honesty and compassion that I have used people like substances. And I've actually, like I said to her, I've been to SLAA. Yeah. I've just never had the fallout, afterwards fallout from it that I've had from drugs and alcohol. Dude, you are 
so out of touch with yourself. I swear to God. You well, know, one look, time. One time. One time. The other day you called me up miserable about this thing. How do you live in this denial about this? Well, I'm working on that one, but I'm just saying like... I'm not talking about that one. All the I'm other ta- ones... I'm talking about the dude in Brooklyn who went to the Midwest. Yeah. I'm talking about the cop. It's interesting. I mean, I think that... Listen, I'm not perfect. Lord knows you're not perfect. Yeah, I'm, I have much more problems with vodka than and beer than with that. And, you know, like that dude in Brooklyn wrote to me today and I didn't write back to him. I think, and, and I, you know that I love you to death, but I think you're holding, this is something that you, you're protecting like the precious. You don't want to give this thing up. <laughs> I know that. And I was listening today, I had, um, I've been listening to the Howard Stern Show a lot again, and Chris Rock was on the Howard Stern Show, and, yeah. I, was, and I like Chris Rock, but I was like, this is going to be a boring interview. And then out of nowhere, Chris Rock said he hasn't watched porn in 200 days, he hasn't done social media this year. He hasn't eaten sugar this year. And, um, and he hasn't jerked off this year. Wow. And he said that he's better at being social, which is interesting, consider there's basically no social life anymore. Well, he means like when he's actually social, he's better at it. He feels like he's present in a, in a whole other way. Yeah. It was like, it blew my mind. It makes sense. I mean, at first it sounded like Proud Boys. They're like, they don't watch porn. He said that he once was really into video games and it turned into, he gave up video games, but then he got into porn and now he's given up porn. And, and it also sounds like, have you heard of this guy, Napoleon Hill? No. Napoleon Hill wrote a book called, I think, The Secret to Getting Rich or Secret to Something. Oh, I've heard of him, yeah. And it's about focusing your sexual energy productively. Right. Which it sounds like that's what Chris Rock is doing. You definitely are not doing that. No, I watch a lot of porn. Well, it's just interesting. Like, the other thing is the idea of, like, spiritual whack-a-mole. Like, you're not using, you're not drinking, but... You know, I'm eating my like I'm. I, I mean, we bought two pints of ice yeah, cream tonight and a pizza and a pizza. Um, not to mention all the pornography afterwards. Yeah. So I mean, basically, it's. I, I think that's interesting. I have gone off of except for Dopey Nation. I'm not on Facebook at all, and that's. I, I've noticed that that's a big change in my life. Why did you do that? Because my sponsor told me to. Because of the fallout yeah, from the yeah. last. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Well. The social media thing is very weird, and and the way we get high off of it, and the way we like we put something up and we get likes and then we're high, but you're not really high. And I also don't understand. Like, did you see the video I sent you that DJ Fat Tony video? Yeah. Like nobody liked it. I was like, what? I thought it was so good. Yeah. Did you like it? No, it was great. Who did that? There's a dude. His name is Alec Allegio. And he wrote me, he, wrote, he did a, a piece about Dopey a, a few years ago in a zine he makes. Yeah. And he wrote me and he said that Dopey's presence on YouTube isn't what it should be. Oh, yeah, it could And be. he wants to step in and do that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, that's great. So I was like, all right, make a video for Fat Tony. It's not on YouTube at all, barely. Well, it Dopey. certainly doesn't have anything. Anyway, I put up that. I put up a Patreon of an old Chopped and Screwed with Chris. Oh, yeah. And like... I listened to that. But did you? Yeah, I did. It was funny, right? Yeah. It's like, it's crazy. I mean, like, I, I, I talk about it all the time, but I still, 
I still find it hard to believe that this is the same show that I used to make with Chris, and the reason he doesn't make it anymore is because he relapsed and he died. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the same show, but it's not the same show. It's, you know, and it keeps evolving. It evolved while you and Chris were doing it. It, From the beginning to when Chris died, it was a very different show. And then from that moment until now, it's been like several versions well, I, I want it to be as different as it can be as often as it can, which is why I thought it was cool to have Hazi because it's like she's not... People complain that it's too many G-list celebrities, and she was just, <laughs> you know, garden-variety yeah. alcoholic, yeah. And, and, you know, with her own story. And recently, Ray made a little journey of his own... Yes, I did. ...to the wilds of the city of brotherly love. <laughs> I've been wanting to go to Philly for a while. I became obsessed with Walt Whitman, and I want to visit his house... So I just like on the spur of the moment bought a ticket and my ex-sponsor and Dave were like, are you going down there to score drugs in Kensington? I did not say you, that. You said that I did a not, while ago. I did not say that. Well. You're always talking about wanting Kratom. Kratom. Anyway, so I'm on the train. And also when you, yeah. were, when you were in the midst of relapsing and not being yeah. honest about it, you would say, I, I wonder how I could get some heroin. Yeah. Well, I'm on the train and I'm like, Almost to Philly, I'm like, where is this Kensington neighborhood? And I go- I looked on Google Maps, and I was like, oh, I'm and I'm looking around, going, this is a fucked up neighborhood I'm going through. And I'm like, oh, this is Kensington I'm in right now, and it looks terrifying. But anyway, I got off, and then uh, I met Andrew for I walked around. I met Andrew for lunch. Andrew G. <coughs> Andrew from the Dobie G. Nation administrative. Group. He he uh, took me to this great uh, Vietnamese place, and then. I went back and I was really tired. I walked along. I walked 15 miles that day, and I sat down by City Hall Park, which is like their City Hall is insane. It's a crazy building. It's like if Walt Disney built City Hall. It's like a cartoon of a City Hall, and it was a really nice fountain. And then I started to realize I'm sitting in this chair by the fountain, which is kind of in the fountain. Everybody there is homeless and crazy. Because nobody is at, in these office towers. Nobody lives in that neighborhood. It's just homeless, crazy people. And there's a woman sitting next to me. And all of a sudden, she stomps out something with her foot. And I look over, and I see an insect. And I was like, was it a bee? And she goes, no. And I realized she's kind of crazy. And I said, was it, can it sting you? And she said, no. I, I'll do your generic voice now. You could do it. No. They're laying eggs. They're laying eggs. And I was like, okay, she's crazy. She's like, you got to kill them. They're laying eggs. And I went over and looked at it, and it was a beautiful butterfly. And I was like, what the fuck? This lady, you just killed a butterfly. And uh, I was sure it was going to be a praying mantis. No, no. So <laughs> then I was like, oh. Okay. My, my voice doesn't sound like that. Uh, no, anyway, saying, that's you. so then I was like, okay. And then I walked to back to the train. And suddenly those fucking bugs are everywhere and they're jumping on me. They're all <laughs> over the sidewalk. She was right. They're, yeah. So I Googled like red leafed insect Philly and it's this insect that has just come here from China and it's taking over Philadelphia and it's eating everything and they're freaked out about it and it's escaped. It's, it's out of Philly. And it's in Pennsylvania. It eats all the corn, all the apples, all the peaches. And it turns out this lady was an acclaimed zoologist who was, like, on the scene. <laughs> well, what they said was, like, just kill them. Kill the, All the local papers are, we have to kill them. They're going to destroy Pennsylvania and the United States. They just arrived. Another, and, another Chinese threat. Yeah. 
and they're they're exploding because they have no natural enemies in America except this lady. Except this lady and praying mantises. No way. And they want to release hundreds and thousands of praying mantises everywhere to destroy the um uh what's it called the spotted lanternfly. The spotted lanternfly is now the enemy of the praying mantis yes. and the dopey nation. And there's, there's all these videos on YouTube of praying mantises attacking spotted lanternflies. All right, so pray, so dopey nation, hear the call, buy praying mantis eggs, release them, re- hatch them in your home, and release them. Although it's going to be too cold for them in a minute. So well, the, they'll come. These praying these um lantern lanternflies, flies. they come back in the spring. So this next spring, let's all. Maybe we should start selling praying mantis eggs at the Dopey Nation store. Yes. Dopey. <laughs> Dopey Con. Yeah, the Dopey <laughs> Mantis eggs. Look for Dopey Con 2 coming up. I'm very excited about Dopey Con 2. Are you excited? I'm very excited. Virtual. It, yeah, it's going to be some kind of online version of Dopey Con 2. Look for new videos coming from Alec. I want to say thank you to all the Dopey Nation Facebook administrators. I want to thank Misty for her tireless efforts. I want to thank Sam. For everything he does. I want to thank Kira and Don, also known as DJ, for, for getting it done. Again, happy six months to Scott. If you want an anniversary mentioned on the Dopey Nation, write an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Sign up to subscribe for Dopey at iTunes. Leave a five-star review. Send in music. Send in a Dopey song. Send in a version of Good So Bad. I'm out of new covers of Good So Bad. I need more. I'll do one. You've been saying you'll do one oh, for years. Bo said he's going to do one. Bo's not doing any. <laughs> um, I'm going to leave you with a version of Good So Bad, or it's like it's kind of like an excerpt of a version of Good So Bad, which I love. It's this guy. His name is Shane Oberman. He used to talk a lot of shit about Dopey on the Dopey Nation. And then he moved over to Reddit because he he unplugged from Facebook. And I confronted him, and he said he wasn't talking shit about Dopey. And um, I've always loved this version of Good So Bad. So this is Shane's version of Good So Bad. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Peace out. When my
bad, so bad. I want to be good. Oh, this all ever had, this all ever had, this all ever had. I want to be good, so bad, so, so, so bad. Blah, 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 blah. I want to be good, so bad. Blah, 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 blah. I want to be good. I want to be good, so bad. That's good, so bad. That's good, so bad.